Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Design Driven Life, where we hope to inspire you to shift your mindset and create the world that you want to live in. Hi, my name is Wendy Yates, and today I get to speak with Crystal Earle. Crystal Earle has been a lifelong social entrepreneur. As the co-founder of Live Different, an international youth humanitarian charity, she was first introduced to landfill workers in vulnerable parts of the world. What started out as a passion for social equality has grown into a love for people and the planet. In 2017, she launched Brave Souls with $250. Working with local artisans in the Dominican Republic, Brave Soul creates handcrafted shoes with upcycled tire sold and upcycled accessories and is focused on providing opportunities for their customers and fans to love the story behind what they own. She is currently based in Toronto, Canada. I also want to challenge you in this episode to think about what choices can you lean into that actually reflect your values. Hi, Crystal. Welcome to the Design Driven Life. It's so great to meet you. I'd love to just get started. And if you could share a little bit about your background and who you are. Sure. It's really great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, so I am um, talking to you right now. I'm in Toronto, uh, Canada, um, and I'm the founder of uh, what we would call a social enterprise or social good brand called Brave Souls. So our brand, we create handcrafted uh, sandals in particular, and we use upcycled tires uh, for the soles of our of our shoes, as well as we use different upcycled elements. And um, the I came by it, I, I'm in the fashion world now in sustainable fashion, but I came about it rather circuitously because it actually in another lifetime and in an alternate universe, I was the founder of um, a charity called Live Different that is still very much uh, alive and well. But so I've been working in the humanitarian world for the last 20 years or so, uh, internationally working often with um, in either migrant workers or um, stateless populations in um, in vulnerable circumstances, which is how I ended up with Brave Souls because I've, for many years, I liked the glamour gigs. So I was working in landfills with landfill workers around the world. And that's what led me to starting Brave Souls. Amazing. So how did you, what brought you to originally to humanitarian work and um, how did your heart get set on fire in that way? Oh, well, super cool. So I think I, I think that all of us or, or many people who find themselves in the world of humanitarian work, um, they, they come at it from the perspective of there's just something inside of them. That's like, you know, like what Viktor Frankl calls like man's search for meaning. Like there's just something in us that wants to be part of something bigger. And so when I, with live different, we originally started, we were doing high school motivational presentations. So I've lived on tour buses and out of suitcases all over the world for like the last 20 some odd years. I started doing different humanitarian work in the early 2000s, but in particular, and what led me to where how I ended up in Dominican Republic was that I went to Dominican Republic in 2004 on a vacation, you know, just like a lot of other people. And I um, was was there and I remembered I, I was on this at this all inclusive resort. And if anybody's ever stayed at an all inclusive resort, you know that there's like a few things. There's always like lots of booze and there's always drunk, sunburnt people standing around the pool, dancing the Macarena unsuccessfully. And um, and it was not the vacation that I had imagined. And um, so after a couple of days of being there, I had thought, well, you know, this is not 
like, I would like to see something more, but I didn't know where to start. And I didn't know where we were. And so I went into, now this is 2004 in Dominican Republic. So I went into what was like the little internet cafe in the hotel because internet was deplorable. And uh, it was like so slow. You could practically hear a little monkey grinding out the internet from the background. And I, I sent a message to a friend of mine who uh, I knew that they were, they were there and they were, I knew that they were something like they were missionaries. They were doing something with schools there. And I said, you know, this is where we're staying. Uh, if you happen to be anywhere close by here, I would love to be able to see what you do. And uh, within a couple of minutes, I got the message, a message back from her saying, you know what, we only live five minutes away from where you are. Uh, we could pick you up tomorrow and we would love to show you the communities that we work in. So the next morning I walked out of the front uh, doors of this really beautiful opulent resort. And I got in the back of this little pickup truck and we drove about seven minutes away from the resort that we were staying at. And we were started going down this like little like cow trail hill and came upon this little village in kind of, kind of tucked around the jungle. And, um, and that day I experienced for the first time, um, what it was like to be able to connect with people from an entirely different perspective than anything I'd ever experienced. Uh, there was, it was a, a community of largely Haitian uh, people. And um, I, I remember meeting a woman there that day, Dominican Republic and Haiti are the, you know, they share the same islands. So there's a, a large Haitian population in Dominican Republic. And a large percentage of those people are often without papers and they're stateless and very vulnerable. And I remember that day I sat with this woman on the front step of her home and her home was like, you know, smaller than the room that I'm in right now talking to you from. And, uh, and she, she shared with me what it was like to be in like in her world and in her life and through a translator. And I had known the word poverty and I'd known, I'd known all these words, but it's just like, you hear things so much and it just seems like a word to you. You know what I mean? And it just yeah. like, it just, it just, it, it becomes just so um, benign almost. And, and she explained to me what it was really like to be a single mom with all these kids and in her world. And it was just such a profound, profound experience because this woman um, connected with me in a, in a, like, I felt so, I felt so privileged to be able to have this conversation with this woman. And I went back that night um, to my hotel room and I just, I was a, a bit of a, a train wreck actually, because it was just all these worlds colliding. But I just began to think about what it would look like to be able to create something that would be able to work with these people in what we were already doing in Canada. So by the next summer, this was 2000 now, summer of 2005, we returned with about 280 high school students, not for the faint of heart, I just want to add. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and we worked with with people in that community actually. And we, um, and with members in that community and we worked alongside of them building houses and different projects there. Um, and that was a very profound experience on so many levels, but what happened there at the end of it was really the pivotal moment for me on every possible level, because someone came and found me and asked me if they could take me to the landfill. And so I could meet the people there. And, you know, if we could consider, you know, would we work with these people in, in the days to come? And so, um, in the landfills around the world, there are estimates as high as like 75 million people that work and, and often live yep. in landfills. Mm -hmm. And they are often, I mean, they're extremely vulnerable. All the recycling in the world happens behind the scenes by people like this, literally digging through the garbage and pulling the recyclables out and selling them to private companies. 
and I didn't know this. Um, I am Canadian. And so I had a very, a very, you know, squeaky clean view of what, how recycling happened. It's just this little magic blue box that you put outside your house and it's gone. Right. And it's right. like, and, um, and so that took, led me on a whole new journey of um, meeting people and connecting with this community. And I just started, we bring teams and we work alongside these people in these communities. And it started, I started looking into landfills around the world and, you know, finding ways to connect with people in these landfills. Um, but in Dominican Republic, there was a woman there um, the following year when I'd return with teams and uh, in this landfill, and she had this little girl, little, uh, a little toddler. And, um, and I got to know her a little bit through our work there. And I returned back to Canada. And then I found out that this woman had actually passed away. And, uh, but I was connected with some of her family back in this community. And I started, it started me on the search to find this little girl again, who'd been orphaned. And that's um, through a, a crazy series of events. Um, that was how I found my daughter. And um, she's, you can barely see her. She's over my left shoulder here. <laughs> um, but my daughter was born into statelessness. Her mother had no papers. And so my daughter was, um, we had no ability right when we started the adoption the earthquake also happened in Haiti. So we couldn't even trace back her papers or anything in Haiti. And it, it just left, led us on this crazy immigration uh, journey uh, that took 10 and a half years. And over the course of it, I lost everything, <laughs> uh, including my marriage, but that was, um, and financially, you know, it was a crazy experience, but I began to spend, I would spend two weeks in Dominican Republic with my daughter and two weeks back here in Canada, because I was I'm a writer and a speaker and I was, I was, um, but then I had resigned from Live Different and I was just working on ways to be able to be with my daughter. But always when I would go back to Dominican Republic, I would uh, be bringing groups, everything from like human rights groups to labor groups. And we would go for a day to the garbage dump where my friends were and we'd work alongside them. And I had these deep, deep relationships there. And always when I go back to the garbage dumps, there would be tires and tires were everywhere. And, you know, if you want to understand the crazy, the craziness of human consumption anywhere in the world, just check out a garbage dump. Like it is, it is really shocking um, what is there. And so I'd bring groups and people would be like, what's with all these tires? And, you know, like we produce billions of tires a year and we have no cohesive plan as a as a group of a human as, as humans of how we're going to deal with them. And so often um, places like Dominican Republic and many places all over the world, there's only one way to deal with them. You either leave them, they're abandoned, they're in manure and waterways and ditches, or they get burned. Uh, and it's just, and it, either way, tires are, uh, they're a massive health risk. They mosquitoes breed in the standing water of like when it rains and the tires mm -hmm. hold the standing water. Mosquitoes breed in there. And those mosquitoes can carry diseases like dengue, um, which in the situations where my, my friends are in, their systems are already very compromised. So dengue is like a death sentence for many of them. Um, but we don't know how long it's going to even take tires to successfully biodegrade, right? So, and always people would be like, what's with all these tires? And I would always say, I don't know, but someone should really do something about these tires. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, in, the, in January of 2017, uh, I was walking out of my house in my apartment in Dominican Republic and across the courtyard from me, my friend walked out at the same time. And she just gotten back from Cuba 
and she was wearing a really super cute pair of shoes. And I did the girl thing where I'm like, oh my gosh, I love your shoes. Let me see them. And they were handmade sandals and I, I, they were leather. And I, I picked them up and I was like looking at one of them and I flipped over the sandal and it was just like a plasticky base on the sandal. But she's like, I love these shoes. I wish I would have gotten like 10 more and we're talking. And when I was looking at her shoes, it was like a lightning bolt on the side of the head. I was like, oh my God, why did I not think of this before? Right? Why did I not think about using sandals? Because I mean, everybody knows that there are people, there's, you know, like Maasai, in the Maasai people um, have made sandals out of tires for years. And everybody's got some like dope smoking uncle from the 60s who traveled through Central America wearing Hirachi sandals with tire soles. But like, neither of those was the fashion, you know, the fashion perspective that I wanted. And so I began uh, on a search to find uh, some artisans that could help us. And through a whole series of events, um, I found someone and we started um, in our first production shop. We started with, I, I had 250 bucks. That's it. <laughs> I started all of Brave Souls is $250. And I, um, I went, I got the ideas and um, I, I would put, I, would, I had, I made a little business plan on my wall and in my kitchen in Dominican Republic and with post-it notes, a little business mo model. And, um, and every day I would walk by and I'd kind of move things around. And, and I eventually came to the conclusion that, yeah, I could do this for a really, you know, a small amount of money because I had nothing. And um, on June 7th, I, I launched it. And in the first day I launched it with an organic post on Facebook and I sold 39 pairs of shoes wow. all over the world. Amazing. all over the world. And uh, so I was like, Oh my gosh, now. And, and at that time it was like a built a make, like you'd put in the order and like, you know, make it. Yeah. Yeah. Like Edwin would get in the boat and go across the river <laughs> on a boat on a rope and run to the house. And like the guy would start making, it was like, we were pretty like, it, it is, it, it's, it's fun and charming to think about now. But at the time it was like, I think no one was more surprised than me at, at how it took off. But what, what I found within that, um, and they, you know, in our earlier conversation before we started recording, you and I were talking about, you know, what it is a, about designing your life. What I've found to be very powerful is that life is what we decide it's going to be, right? Like the only thing we can ever own in life is our choices. And we can decide whether we're going to react to life or we can respond and we can pivot and, and we can consider what we, what our next move is going to be. And that's an empowering place to be from. And I have been on this spectrum of, of, all of those human emotions, I, I found that when I began to stop seeing my life myself as a victim of my circumstances and started to think about like, what could I do in light of everything and work within the constraints of things, then all of my creativity began to get unleashed in a whole new way. And so anyways, that's how Brave Souls is now. And we now, um, we've grown obviously, and we've added accessories. We work with um, a couple airlines. We use their like upcycled airplane seat covers and all kinds of things for our designs now. So mm -hmm. I'm so obsessed with this story. Like so many things that you said <laughs> are so like, I mean, you just covered so much, but I think some of like the Dominican Republic is very special to me. Um, I re re recently visited there a couple of years ago and um, I actually lot, uh, expanded my, one of my companies, uh, two of them actually into the Dominican as well. And with a goal now of, um, bringing in an entrepreneur program to help people learn how to, um, start, you know, start and scale businesses. And so I'm working with, a um, a, another group of girls who one is taking the program into Honduras. One is taking the program into, um, 
which is already in Nicaragua and I'm taking into the Dominican and then one into the British Virgin Islands. So um, what you said about going on vacation and just kind of being like clueless about recycling. I think that's so many of us in the privileged world, you know, and that um, really motivated me to start Wealth That Human, um, which is a kind of a retreat group where we take people to these countries and to small communities outside of the all-inclusive resort. And we stay in a local, you know what I mean? Or in a smaller, more locally owned um, community and really get to immerse in the culture. So I think it's so powerful, your story to share how you do in life. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you design. And I say that, and, um, and you are just the perfect example of that. And I feel just so connected with your passion, your story to create something out of waste and to, change people's lives with it. So it's Mm -hmm. so, so incredible. Um, and I love that it was just an organic post and it exploded from there. And I think for, (laughs) I mean, that's so, so crazy. And so, so incredible just shows that your heart and your passion, when you put, you know, your full purpose and joy into the world, everything just falls into place. So speaking up, so because we are kind of an entrepreneur driven, um, podcast, um, I'd love to hear how you are scaling brave souls after that <laughs> initial, like, you know, the, the, vill- you know, the, the friends and the workers like pulling together to get those orders out and sort of some of that just processed, you know, something similar or create a company and employ, you know, people in other countries. Yeah. So I have to say that one of my, when I've, what I've come to realize, I had a couple people pointed out is that I have never been scared to ask for help. So, and I think that this is in, honestly, that sounds so simple, but I think that a lot of people get an idea and they think that their idea, they don't want to bother someone else or they, um, they just, they're, uh, they can just be hesitant to reach out and, and see what's out there. And so I think that as, as an entrepreneur, that's probably served me really well. The other thing that I, I have, I, I've come to realize is that I see what I build. Uh, I keep a very experimental mindset. You know, there's like an, there's a, a concept in like the lean business model when you're building something to, you know, to fail, to fail quickly or, or fail, fail fast so that you, you know, like this worked, that didn't. And, and to be like, oh, isn't that interesting? That really connected. And I wonder why, like, there's just, there's something very powerful as, as people and as entrepreneurs about the power and the type of questions that we ask ourselves. So there's a really simple way, you know, our, our initial, when things don't go the way we want, our first question, our knee-jerk reaction, the question is always to be like, why? Why is this happening to me? Why didn't that? And a better question and a more beautiful question is, what would happen if, or I wonder, you know, like just to, to open ourselves up to different possibilities. And so that's, um, that for me has always been a great uh, way for me to contain, to, to, to embrace perspective and to be able to stay, stay focused on the fact that, okay, this, this isn't like, there's not one way, there's, there's not one way to make this work. There's like what you said, like it's a design I, I, I don't need to be a victim. I can design the life that I want. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of extenuating circumstances and constrictions that I may be living within, but at the core of who I am, I design who I am. I design how I show up. I design, no one can take those things from me and, and those ideas. And so that's been a really super helpful thing for me. And also another thing that has been really important for me in, in launching something, um, I've launched many other things. I've been a social entrepreneur all my life, but this was my first time launching something on my own completely. And it was the idea of realizing that I had told myself 
a lot of stories that were not serving me and that were not true. I, you know, like there's, I had, I told myself that I wouldn't be able to figure this out and lo and behold, I could actually figure it out. I told myself I wasn't going to be good at this. And lo and behold, I may never, that may never be not my ultimate rock star talent or gift, but I can get pretty, like, I have a lot more abilities than I've given myself credit for. And that's really served me well. Yeah. I love all of that. And it is, you do get to design whatever you want in life. And that's, um, basically the whole purpose for us, uh, you know, here mm-hmm. and the design driven life is to really get that message across. And, um, I think you're just such a perfect example for other people and an inspiration. Um, and your message is just so, um, it's just so impactful, you know, to hear your story and, you know, I already said this, but to know that if you don't know what's going on in the world, get out there and find out, you know, stop living in a bubble, like go explore things. Because I, when I was traveling a lot, I was finding that like lack of this, it was the same thing. I'm like, why am I just here taking up space? Like, you know, why am I not here getting involved in the community and meeting people, you know, and, um, and it's just changed my whole life by just going and being involved in communities when you're traveling, instead of sitting somewhere, taking up space. And, you know, you created a whole, a whole lifestyle around that, um, with your brand and with your company and just with your message. Um, one of the other things we like to sort of put out there, um, with each episode is a mindset, you know, what's a mindset that we can focus on this week or, you know, different ones all the time as they relate, right. Our, our lives are always changing different opportunities present themselves. What is possible, um, Mm -hmm. as you put out there, um, what's a mindset that is serving you right now, right now, uh, I would say that, a mindset is that is serving me is how I've learned to really adapt resilience into my life. And, and one of the things I ask myself often is what's my next best move. And not that you lose sight of what's uh, like of the, of the bigger picture that I always, I, and I've likened this to um, when I, uh, when I'm in Dominican Republic, I run on the beach and running on the beach is great. And it's awesome, except that there, you know, not everybody, there's everything from glass sometimes on the beach. So you're running and running, I run barefoot, you're running and you're, you're doing two things. You're keeping your eye on where you're going and you're keeping, you're also keeping a, a quick check for what's in front of you. So you don't step, you know, you don't want to step on glass and, and hurt yourself or anything. Um, and that's a lot like how life is. So for example, in this last year, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of, you know, the pandemics raging and blah, 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 all that around us. Um, and everything, it's like all bets are off on so many things that we've taken, we've made assumptions around things thinking they were never going to change. And they change because life, the one consistent thing is that change is a guarantee. And so in the middle of it, I've learned to not, um, to not hold too tightly to the way that I've always done things and to ask myself, okay, if that isn't working anymore, what is my next best move? So what's the, what's the next choice that's in line with my values. That's going to, you know, take, I have people depending on me in my business and, and depending on me to make the right choices. What's my next best choice? Because we can get stuck and we can get stalled on thinking what's the, what's, what's the perfect choice and and perfection. It's a, it's a fallacy and it doesn't exist, but if we make a choice and we lean into it, then everything else starts to open its way up. And that's really, honestly, that has really served me so, so much. And it continues to serve me all the time. Amazing. What a beautiful, beautiful answer. I, 
I really love your story. Like from the bottom of my heart, I resonate so much with you as a human being. <laughs> like, I just want to like hang out with you and have lunch and um, help you build brave souls <laughs> more, um, like legitimately <laughs> invite you to coming out with me. Um, it's, I loved being able to share your story with our listeners. And I know that you've definitely provided a lot of inspiration to me in this short half hour. Um, so I really appreciate your time. Um, I look forward to following brave souls and getting to know you better in the future and sharing your mission and your vision across our platforms as well. So I just really couldn't be more grateful for you for your time. Thank you. Such a privilege to be here. Thank you. You can find out how to get your own Brave Souls at bravesouls.life. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of The Design Driven Life, where you get to create the world that you want to live in. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate and review our podcast. And don't forget to subscribe for automatic delivery of new episodes. I am thoroughly loving our platform for our podcast, Budsprout. So if you are considering, and you should, starting a podcast, it's so fun. It's a great way to connect with people. It's not hard when you have the right partners. If you're looking for a place to host your own podcast, join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get your message out to the world. Start for free and receive a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up.